Chapters twenty three and twenty four of Don Quixote, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Leader. Don Quixote, Volume two, by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra. Translated by John Ormsby. Chapter twenty three. Of the wonderful things the incomparable Don Quixote said he saw in the profound cave of Montesinos, the impossibility and magnitude of which caused this adventure to be deemed apocryphal. It was about four in the afternoon when the sun, veiled in clouds with subdued light and tempered beams, enabled Don Quixote to relate, without heat or inconvenience, what he had seen in the cave of Montesinos to his two illustrious hearers, and he began as follows. A matter of some twelve or fourteen times a man's height down in this pit, on the right-hand side, there is a recess or space roomy enough to contain a large cart with its mules. A little light reaches it through some chinks or crevices, communicating with it and open to the surface of the earth. This recess or space I perceived when I was already growing weary and disgusted at finding myself hanging suspended by the rope, travelling downwards into that dark region without any certainty or knowledge of where I was going, so I resolved to enter it and rest myself for a while. I called out telling you not to let out more rope until I bade you, but you cannot have heard me. I then gathered in the rope you are sending me, and making a coil or pile of it, I seated myself upon it, ruminating and considering what I was to do to lower myself to the bottom, having no one to hold me up. And as I was thus deep in thought and perplexity, suddenly and uh, without provocation, a profound sleep fell upon me, and when I least expected it, I know not how, I awoke and found myself in the midst of the most beautiful, delightful meadow that nature could produce, or the most lively human imagination conceive. I opened my eyes, I rubbed them, and found I was not asleep but thoroughly awake. Nevertheless, I felt my head and breast to satisfy myself whether it was I myself who was there, or some empty delusive phantom. But touch, feeling, the collected thoughts that passed through my mind, all convinced me that I was the same then and there that I am this moment. Next there presented itself to my sight a stately royal palace or castle, with walls that seemed built of clear transparent crystal, and through two great doors that opened wide therein, I saw coming forth and advancing towards me a venerable old man, clad in a long gown of mulberry-coloured serge that trailed upon the ground. On his shoulders and breast he had a green satin collegiate hood, and covering his head a black Milanese bonnet, and his snow-white beard fell below his girdle. He carried no arms whatever, nothing but a rosary of beads bigger than fair-sized filberts, each tenth bead being like a moderate ostrich egg. His bearing, his gait, his dignity, and imposing presence held me spellbound and wondering. He approached me, and the first thing he did was to embrace me closely, 
and then he said to me, "'For a long time now, old valiant knight Don Quixote of La Mancha, we who are here enchanted in these solitudes have been hoping to see thee, that thou mayest make known to the world what is shut up and concealed in this deep cave called the Cave of Montesinos, which thou hast entered, an achievement reserved for thy invincible heart and stupendous courage alone to attempt. Come with me, illustrious sir, and I will show thee the marvels hidden within this transparent castle, whereof I am the Alcaide and perpetual warden. For I am Montesinos himself, from whom the cave takes its name. The instant he told me he was Montesinos, I asked him if the story they told in the world above here was true, that he had taken out the heart of his great friend Durandarte from his breast, with a little dagger, and carried it to the Lady Balerma, as his friend, when at the point of death, had commanded him. He said in reply that they spoke the truth in every respect except as to the dagger, for it was not a dagger, nor little, but a burnished poniard, sharper than an awl. "'That poniard must have been made by Ramon de Hoches, the civilian,' said Sancho. "'I do not know,' said Don Quixote. It could not have been by that poniard-maker, however, because Ramon de Oches was a man of yesterday, and the affair of Roncesvalles, where this mishap occurred, was long ago. But the question is of no great importance, nor does it affect or make any alteration in the truth or substance of the story. "'That is true,' said the cousin. "'Continue, Signor Don Quixote, for I am listening to you with the greatest pleasure in the world.' "'And with no less do I tell the tale,' said Don Quixote, "'and so to proceed. "'The venerable Montesinos led me into the Palace of Crystal, "'where in a lower chamber, strangely cool and entirely of alabaster, "'was an elaborately wrought marble tomb, "'upon which I beheld, stretched at full length, a knight, not of bronze, or marble, or jasper, as are seen on other tombs, but of actual flesh and bone. His right hand, which seemed to me somewhat hairy and sinewy, a sign of great strength in its owner, lay on the side of his heart. But before I could put any question to Montesinos, he, seeing me gazing at the tomb in amazement, said to me, this is my friend Duandarte, flower and mirror of the true lovers and valiant knights of his time. He is held enchanted here, as I myself and many others are, by that French enchanter Merlin, who, they say, was the devil's son. But my belief is not that he was the devil's son, but that he knew, as the saying is, a point more than the devil." How or why he enchanted us, no one knows, but time will tell, and I suspect that time is not far off. What I marvel at is, that I know it to be as sure as that it is now day that Durandarte ended his life in my arms, and that, after his death, I took out his heart with my own hands, and indeed it must have weighed more than two pounds, for, according to naturalists, he who has a large heart is more largely endowed with valour than he who has a small one. Then, as this is the case, and as the knight did really die, how comes it that he now moans and sighs from time to time as if he were still alive? As he said this, the wretched Durandarte cried out in a loud voice, 
Oh, cousin Montesinos, "'twas my last request of thee. "'When my soul hath left the body, "'and that lying dead I be, "'with thy poniard or thy dagger, "'cut the heart from out my breast, "'and bear it to Belerma. "'This was my last request.' On hearing which, the venerable Montesinos fell on his knees before the unhappy knight, and with tearful eyes exclaimed, "'Long since, Signor Dorandarte, my beloved cousin, long since have I done what you bade me on that sad day when I lost you. I took out your heart as well as I could, not leaving an atom of it in your breast. I wiped it with a lace handkerchief, and I took the road to France with it, having first laid you in the bosom of the earth with tears enough to wash and cleanse my hands of the blood that covered them, after wandering among your bowels. And more by token, O cousin of my soul, at the first village I came to, after leaving Ronsonvalliers, sprinkled a little salt upon your heart to keep it sweet, and bring it, if not fresh, at least pickled, into the presence of the Lady Belerma, whom— together with you, myself, Guadiana, your squire, the duena, Ridera, and her seven daughters, and two nieces, and many more of your friends and acquaintances, the sage Merlin has been keeping enchanted here these many years. And although more than five hundred have gone by, not one of us has died. Ridera and her daughters and nieces alone are missing, and these, because of the tears they shed, Merlin, out of the compassion he seems to have felt for them, changed into so many lakes, which, to this day in the world of the living, and in the province of La Mancha, are called the lakes of Ridera. The seven daughters belong to the kings of Spain, and the two nieces to the knights of a very holy order called the Order of St. John. Guadiana, your squire, likewise bewailing your fate, was changed into a river of his own name, but when he came to the surface and beheld the sun of another heaven, so great was his grief at finding he was leaving you, that he plunged into the bowels of the earth. However, as he cannot help following his natural course, he from time to time comes forth and shows himself to the sun and the world. The lakes aforesaid sent him their waters, and with these, and others that come to him, he makes a grand and imposing entrance into Portugal. But for all that, go where he may, he shows his melancholy and sadness, and takes no pride in breeding dainty choice fish, only coarse and tasteless sorts, very different from those of the golden Tagus. All this that I tell you now, O cousin mine, I have told you many times before, and as you make no answer, I fear that either you believe me not, or do not hear me, whereat I feel God knows what grief. I have now news to give you, which, if it serves not to alleviate your sufferings, will not in any wise increase them. Know that you have here before you, open your eyes, and you will see, that great knight of whom the sage Merlin has prophesied such great things, that Don Quixote of La Mancha, I mean, who has again, and to better purpose than in past times, revived in these days knight-errantry, long since forgotten, and by whose intervention and aid it may be we shall be disenchanted for great deeds are reserved for great men.
and if that may not be said the wretched durandarte in a low and feeble voice if that may not be then my cousin i say patience and shuffle and turning over on his side he relapsed into his former silence without uttering another word and now there was heard a great outcry and lamentation accompanied by deep sighs and bitter sobs i looked round and through the crystal wall i saw passing through another chamber a procession of two lines of fair damsels all clad in mourning and with white turbans of turkish fashion on their heads behind in the rear of these there came a lady for so from her dignity she seemed to be also clad in black with a white veil so long and ample that it swept the ground her turban was twice as large as the largest of any of the others her eyebrows met her nose was rather flat her mouth was large but with ruddy lips and her teeth of which at times she allowed a glimpse were seen to be sparse and ill-set though as white as peeled almonds she carried in her hands a fine cloth and in it as well as i could make out a heart that had been mummied so parched and dried was it montesinos told me that all those forming the procession were the attendants of dorandarte and balerma who were enchanted there with their master and mistress and that the last she who carried the heart in the cloth was the lady balerma who with her damsels four days in the week went in procession singing or rather weeping dirges over the body and miserable heart of his cousin and that if she appeared to me somewhat ill-favoured or not so beautiful as fame reported her it was because of the bad nights and worse days that she passed in that enchantment as i could see by the great dark circles round her eyes and their sickly complexion her sallowness and the rings round her eyes said he are not caused by the periodical ailment usual with women for it is many months and even years since she has had any but by the grief her own heart suffers because of that which she holds in her hand perpetually and which recalls and brings back to her memory the sad fate of her lost lover were it not for this hardly would the great dulcinea del toboso so celebrated in all these parts and even in the world come up to her for beauty grace and gaiety hold hard said i at this tell your story as you ought signor don montesinos for you know very well that all comparisons are odious and there is no occasion to compare one person with another the peerless dulcinea del toboso is what she is and the lady dona belerma is what she is and has been and that's enough to which he made answer forgive me signor don quixote i own i was wrong and spoke unadvisedly in saying that the lady dulcinea could scarcely come up to the lady belerma for it were enough for me to have learned by what means i know not that you are her knight to make me bite my tongue out before i compared her to anything save heaven itself after this apology which the great montesinos made me my heart recovered itself from the shock i had received in hearing my lady compared with balerma still i wonder said sancho 
that your worship did not get upon the old fellow, and bruise every bone of him with kicks, and pluck his beard until you didn't leave a hair in it. Nay, Sancho, my friend, said Don Quixote, it would not have been right in me to do that, for we are all bound to pay respect to the aged, even though they be not knights, but especially to those who are, and who are enchanted. I only know I gave him as good as he brought in the many other questions and answers we exchanged. I cannot understand, Signor Don Quixote, remarked the cousin here, how it is that your worship, in such a short space of time as you have been below there, could have seen so many things, and said and answered so much. How long is it since I went down? asked Don Quixote. Little better than an hour, replied Sancho. That cannot be, returned Don Quixote, because night overtook me while I was there, and day came, and it was night again, and day again three times, so that, by my reckoning, I have been three days in those remote regions beyond our ken. My master must be right, replied Sancho, for as everything that has happened to him is by enchantment, maybe what seems to us an hour— would seem three days and nights there. <laughs> That's it, said Don Quixote. And did your worship eat anything all that time, Signor? asked the cousin. I never touched a morsel, answered Don Quixote, nor did I feel hunger or think of it. And do the enchanted eat? said the cousin. They neither eat, said Don Quixote, nor are they subject to the greater excrements, though it is thought that their nails, beards, and hair grow. And do the enchanted sleep now, Signor? asked Sancho. Certainly not, replied Don Quixote. At least during those three days I was with them, not one of them closed an eye, nor did I either. The proverb, Tell me what company thou keepest, and I'll tell thee what thou art, is to the point here, said Sancho. Your worship keeps company with enchanted people that are always fasting and watching. What wonder is it, then, that you neither eat nor sleep while you are with them? But forgive me, Signor, if I say that of all this you have told us now, may God take me, <laughs> I was just going to say the devil, if I believe a single particle. What? said the cousin. Has Signor Don Quixote then been lying? Why, even if he wished it, he has not had time to imagine and put together such a host of lies. Oh, I don't believe my master lies, said Sancho. If not, what dost thou believe? asked Don Quixote. I believe, replied Sancho, that this Merlin, or those enchanters who enchanted the whole crew your worship says you saw, and discoursed with down there, "'Stuffed your imagination, or your mind, with all this rigmarole you have been treating us to, and all that is still to come.' "'All that might be, Sancho,' replied Don Quixote. "'But it is not so, for everything that I have told you I saw with my own eyes, and touched with my own hands.' But what will you say when I tell you now how, among the countless other marvellous things Montesinos showed me, of which at leisure and at the proper time I will give thee an account in the course of our journey, for they would not be all in place here, he showed me three country girls who went skipping and capering like goats over the pleasant fields there, 
and the instant I beheld them I knew once to be the peerless Dulcinea del Toboso, and the other two those same country girls that were with her, and that we spoke to on the road from El Toboso. I asked Montesinos if he knew them, and he told me he did not, but he thought they must be some enchanted ladies of distinction, for it was only a few days before that they had made their appearance in those meadows. But I was not to be surprised at that, because there were a great many other ladies there of times past and present, enchanted in various strange shapes, and among them he had recognized Queen Guinevere and her dame Quintanona, she who poured out the wine for Lancelot when he came from Britain. When Sancho Panza heard his master say this, he was ready to take leave of his senses, or die with laughter, for, as he knew the real truth about the pretended enchantment of Dulcinea, in which he himself had been the enchanter and concocter of all the evidence, he made up his mind at last that, beyond all doubt, his master was out of his wits and stark mad. So he said to him, "'It was an evil hour.' A worse season, and the sorrowful day when your worship, dear master mine, went down to the other world, and an unlucky moment when you met with Signor Montesinos, who has sent you back to us like this. You were well enough here, above in your false senses, such as God had given you, delivering maxims, and giving advice at every turn, and not as you are now, talking the greatest nonsense that can be imagined. As I know thee, Sancho, said Don Quixote, I heed not thy words. Nor I your worships, said Sancho, whether you beat me or kill me for those I have spoken, and will speak if you don't correct and mend your own. But tell me, while we are still at peace, how or by what did you recognize the lady our mistress? And if you spoke to her, what did you say, and what did she answer? I recognized her said Don Quixote, by her wearing the same garments she wore when thou didst point her out to me. I spoke to her, but she did not utter a word in reply. On the contrary, she turned her back on me and took to flight, at such a pace that crossbow bolt could not have overtaken her. I wished to follow her, and would have done so had not Montesinos recommended me not to take the trouble, as it would be useless particularly as the time was drawing near when it would be necessary for me to quit the cavern. He told me, moreover, that in course of time he would let me know how he and Belerma, and Dorandate, and all who were there, were to be disenchanted. But of all I saw and observed down there, what gave me most pain was that while Montesinos was speaking to me, one of the two companions of the hapless Dulcinea approached me on one without my having seen her coming, and with tears in her eyes said to me in a low agitated voice, My lady Dulcinea del Toboso kisses your worship's hands, and entreats you to do her the favour of letting her know how you are, and being in great need, she also entreats your worship as earnestly as she can to be so good as to lend her half a dozen reals, or as much as you may have about you, on this new dimity petticoat that I have here, and she promises to repay them very speedily. <laughs> well, I was amazed and taken aback by such a message, and turning to Signor Montesinos, I asked him, Is it possible, Signor Montesinos, that persons of distinction under enchantment can be in need? 
to which he replied, "'Believe me, Signor Don Quixote, that which is called need is to be met with everywhere, and penetrates all quarters, and reaches everyone, and does not spare even the enchanted. And as the Lady Dulcinea del Toboso sends to beg those six reals, and the pledge is to all appearance a good one, there is nothing for it but to give them to her, for no doubt she must be in some great strait.' "'I will take no pledge of her,' I replied, "'nor yet can I give her what she asks, "'for all I have is four reals,' which I gave. Uh, "'They were those which thou, Sancho, gavest me the other day "'to bestow in alms upon the poor I met along the road. "'And I said, "'Tell your mistress, my dear, that I am grieved to the heart "'because of her distresses, and wish I was a fucard to remedy them.' and that I would have her know that I cannot be, and ought not be, in health, while deprived of the happiness of seeing her, and enjoying her discreet conversation, and that I implore her as earnestly as I can, to allow herself to be seen and addressed by this her captive servant and forlorn knight. Tell her, too, that when she least expect it, she will hear it announced that I have made an oath and vow, after the fashion of that which the Marquis of Mantua made to avenge his nephew Baldwin, when he found him at the point of death in the heart of the mountains, which was not to eat bread off a tablecloth, and other trifling matters which he added until he had avenged him. And I will make the same, to take no rest, and to roam the seven regions of the earth more thoroughly than the Infante Don Pedro of Portugal, ever roamed them, until I have disenchanted her. All that and more you owe my lady, the damsels answer to me, and taking the four reals, instead of making me a curtsy, she cut a caper, springing two full yards into the air. Oh, blessed God! exclaimed Sancho aloud at this. Is it possible that such things can be in the world, and that enchanters and enchantments can have such power in it as to have changed my master's right senses into a craze so full of absurdity? Oh, senor, senor, for God's sake, consider yourself, have a care for your honor, and give no credit to this silly stuff that has left you scant and short of wits. Thou talkest it this way because thou lovest me, Sancho said Don Quixote, and not being experienced in the things of the world, everything that has some difficulty about it seems to thee impossible. But time will pass, as I said before, and I will tell thee some of the things I saw down there which will make thee believe what I have related now, the truth of which admits of neither reply nor question. End of chapter 23 Chapter 24 wherein are related a thousand trifling matters, as trivial as they are necessary to the right understanding of this great history. He who translated this great history from the original written by its first author, Cide Hamete Benengeli, says that on coming to the chapter giving the adventures of the cave of Montesinos, he found written on the margin of it, in Hamete's own hand, these exact words. I cannot convince or persuade myself that everything that is written in the preceding chapter could have precisely happened to the valiant Don Quixote, and for this reason that all the adventures that have occurred up to the present have been possible and probable. But as for this one of the cave, I see no way of accepting it as true, as it passes 
all reasonable bounds. For me to believe that Don Quixote could lie, he being the most truthful gentleman and the noblest knight of his time, is impossible. He would not have told a lie though he were shot to death with arrows. On the other hand, I reflect that he related and told this story with all the circumstances detailed, and that he could not in so short a space have fabricated such a vast complication of absurdities. If then this adventure seems apocryphal, it is no fault of mine, and so, without affirming its falsehood or its truth, I write it down. Decide for thyself in thy wisdom, reader, for I am not bound, nor is it in my power to do more. Though certain it is, they say, that at the time of his death he retracted, and said he had invented it, thinking it matched and tallied with the adventures he had read of in his histories. And then he goes on to say, The cousin was amazed as well at Sancho's boldness as at the patience of his master, and concluded that the good temper the latter displayed arose from the happiness he felt at having seen his lady Dulcinea, even enchanted as she was, because otherwise the words and language Sancho had addressed to him deserved a thrashing, for indeed he seemed to him to have been rather impudent to his master, to whom he now observed, I, Signor Don Quixote of La Mancha, look upon the time I have spent in travelling with your worship as very well employed, for I have gained four things in the course of it. The first is that I have made your acquaintance, which I consider great good fortune. The second is that I have learned what the cave of Montesinos contains, together with the transformations of Guadiana and of the lakes of Ridera, which will be of use to me for their Spanish Ovid that I have in hand. The third, to have discovered the antiquity of cards, that they were in use at least in the time of Charlemagne, as may be inferred from the words you say Durandarte hazard when, at the end of that long spell while Montesinos was talking to him, he woke up and said, Patience and shuffle. In this phrase and expression he could not have learned while he was enchanted, but only before he had become so in France, and in the time of the aforesaid Emperor Charlemagne. And this demonstration is just the thing for me for that other book I am writing, the Supplement to Polidore Virgil, on the Invention of Antiquities, for I believe he never thought of inserting that of cards in his book, as I mean to do in mine, and it will be a matter of great importance, particularly when I can cite so grave and voracious an authority as Signor Durandarte. And the fourth thing is, that I have ascertained the source of the river Guadiana, heretofore unknown to mankind. You are right, said Don Quixote, but I should like to know, if by God's favour they grant you a license to print those books of yours, which I doubt, to whom do you mean to dedicate them? There are lords and grandees in Spain to whom they can be dedicated, said the cousin. Not many, said Don Quixote, not that they are unworthy of it, but because they do not care to accept books and incur the obligation of making the return that seems due to the author's labour and courtesy. One prince I know who makes up for all the rest, and more, how much more, if I venture to say, perhaps I should stir up envy in many a noble breast. But let this stand over for some more convenient time, and let us go and look for some place to shelter ourselves in to-night. Not far from this, said the cousin, 
There is a hermitage, where there lives a hermit, who they say was a soldier, and who has the reputation of being a good Christian and a very intelligent and charitable man. Close to the hermitage he has a small house which he built at his own cost, but though small it is large enough for the reception of guests. "'Has this hermit any hands, do you think?' asked Sancho. "'Few hermits are without them.' said Don Quixote, for those we see nowadays are not like the hermits of the Egyptian deserts who were clad in palm-leaves and lived on the roots of the earth. But do not think that by praising these I am disparaging the others. All I mean to say is that the penances of those of the present day do not come up to the asceticism and austerity of former times. But it does not follow from this that they are not all worthy. At least I think them so." and at the worst the hypocrite who pretends to be good does less harm than the open sinner. At this point they saw approaching the spot where they stood a man on foot, proceeding at a rapid pace, and beating a mule loaded with lances and halberds. When he came up to them he saluted them, and passed on without stopping. Don Quixote called to him, "'Stay, good fellow! You seem to be making more haste than suits that mule!' "'I cannot stop, Signor,' answered the man, "'for the arms you see I carry here are to be used to-morrow, so I must not delay. God be with you. But if you want to know what I am carrying them for, I mean to lodge to-night at the inn that is beyond the hermitage, and if you be going the same road, you will find me there, and I will tell you some curious things. Once more, God be with you.' and he urged on his mule at such a pace that Don Quixote had no time to ask him what these curious things were that he meant to tell them. And as he was somewhat inquisitive, and always tortured by his anxiety to learn something new, he decided to set out at once, and go and pass the night at the inn, instead of stopping at the hermitage, where the cousin would have had them halt. Accordingly they mounted, and all three took the direct road for the inn, which they reached a little before nightfall. On the road the cousin proposed they should go up to the hermitage to drink a sup. The instant Sancho heard this he steered his dapple towards it, and Don Quixote and the cousin did the same. But it seems Sancho's bad luck so ordered it that the hermit was not at home, for so a sub-hermit they found in the hermitage told them. They called for some of the best. She replied that her master had none, but that if they liked cheap water, she would give it with great pleasure. "'If I found any in water,' said Sancho, "'there are wells along the road where I could have had enough of it. Ah, Camacho's wedding, and plentiful house of Don Diego, how often do I miss you!' Leaving the hermitage, they pushed on towards the inn and a little farther they came upon a youth who was pacing along in front of them at no great speed, so that they overtook him. He carried a sword over his shoulder, and slung on it a budget or bundle of his clothes, apparently, probably his breeches or pantaloons, and his cloak and a shirt or two, for he had on a short jacket of velvet with a gloss like satin on it in places, and had his shirt out his stockings were of silk, and his shoes square-toed, as they wear them at court. His age might have been eighteen or nineteen. He was of a merry countenance, and to all appearance of an active habit, 
and he went along singing segadillas to beguile the wearisomeness of the road. As they came up with him he was just finishing one, which the cousin got by heart, and they say ran thus. I'm off to the wars for the want of pence. Oh, had I but money, I'd show more sense. <laughs> the first to address him was Don Quixote, who said, You travel very airily, sir gallant. Whither bound, may we ask, if it is your pleasure to tell us? To which the youth replied, The heat and my poverty are the reason of my travelling so airily, and it is to the wars that I am bound. How poverty! asked Don Quixote. The heat one can understand. Signor, replied the youth, in this bundle I carry velvet pantaloons to match this jacket. If I wear them out on the road, I shall not be able to make a decent appearance in them in the city, and have not the wherewithal to buy others. And so for this reason, as well as to keep myself cool, I am making my way in this fashion to overtake some companies of infantry that are not twelve leagues off in which I shall enlist, and there will be no want of baggage-trains to travel with after that to the place of embarkation, which they say will be Cartagena. I would rather have the king for a master, and serve him in the wars, than serve a court pauper." "'And did you get any bounty now?' asked the cousin. "'If I had been in the service of some grandee of Spain, or personages of distinction,' replied the youth, I should have been safe to get it, for that is the advantage of serving good masters, that out of the servants' hall men come to be ancients or captains, or get a good pension. But I, to my misfortune, always served place-hunters and adventurers, whose keep and wages are so miserable and scanty that half went in paying for the starching of one's collars. It would be a miracle indeed if a page volunteer ever got anything like a reasonable bounty. And tell me, for heaven's sake, asked Don Quixote, is it possible, my friend, that all the time you served you never got any livery? They gave me two, replied the page, but just as when one quits a religious community before making profession, they strip him of the dress of the order, and give him back his own clothes, so did my masters return me mine, for as soon as the business on which they came to court was finished, they went home and took back the liveries they had given merely for show. "'What spilicaria, as an Italian would say,' said Don Quixote. "'But for all that, consider yourself happy in having left court with as worthy an object as you have, for there is nothing on earth more honourable or profitable than serving, first of all, God, and then one's king and natural lord, particularly in the profession of arms, by which—' If not more wealth, at least more honour is to be won than by letters, as I have said many a time. For though letters may have founded more great houses than arms, still those founded by arms have I know not what superiority over those founded by letters, and a certain splendour belonging to them that distinguishes them above all. And bear in mind what I am now about to say to you, for it will be of great use and comfort to you in time of trouble. It is— not to let your mind dwell on the adverse chances that may befall you. For the worst of all is death, and if it be a good death, the best of all is to die. They asked Julius Caesar, the valiant Roman emperor, what was the best death. He answered, That which is unexpected, which comes suddenly and unforeseen. 
and though he answered like a pagan, and one without the knowledge of the true God, yet, as far as sparing our feelings is concerned, he was right. For suppose you are killed in the first engagement or skirmish, whether by a cannon-ball or blown up by mine, what matters it? It is only dying, and all is over, and, according to Terence, a soldier shows better dead in battle than alive and safe in flight and the good soldier wins fame in proportion as he is obedient to his captains and those in command over him. And remember, my son, that it is better for the soldier to smell of gunpowder than of civet, and that if old age should come upon you in this honourable calling, though you may be covered with wounds and crippled and lame, it will not come upon you without honour, and that such as poverty cannot lessen especially now that provisions are being made for supporting and relieving old and disabled soldiers, for it is not right to deal with them after the fashion of those who set free and get rid of their black slaves when they are old and useless, and turning them out of their houses, under the pretense of making them free, make them slaves to hunger, from which they cannot expect to be released except by death. But for the present I won't say more than get ye up behind me on my horse as far as the inn, and sup with me there, and to-morrow you shall pursue your journey, and God give you as good speed as your intentions deserve. The page did not accept the invitation to mount, though he did that to supper at the inn. And here they say Sancho said to himself, God be with you for a master. It is possible that a man who can say things so many, and so good as he has said just now, can say that he saw the impossible absurdities of reports about the cave of Montesinos? Well, well, we shall see. And now, just as night was falling, they reached the inn, and it was not without satisfaction that Sancho perceived his master took it for a real inn, and not for a castle as usual. The instant they entered, Don Quixote asked the landlord after the man with the lances and halberds, and was told that he was in the stable seeing to his mule, which was what Sancho and the cousin proceeded to do for their beasts, giving the best manger and the best place in the stable to Rocinante. End of chapter 24 Recording by John Leader, Bloomington, Illinois